Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for November has been provided by Joyent, the only cloud service that's purpose-built to power today's real-time web and mobile application. Joyent offers the most cost-effective public and hybrid cloud solutions available today. Here at 5x5, we host all of our web and app servers in the Joyent cloud, so we highly recommend that you check them out and sign up for a free trial at Joyent.com. Hello, my guest this week is David Sparks, a.k.a. Max Sparky. How's it going, Dave? Great, Brett. It's good to be on your show. It's kind of nervous because I talk about you on my show so much. We actually have a drinking game. Did you know that? I, I did, but mostly because people tweet their drinks. Oh, well, that's good. See, I'm doing some good then. <laughs> I, as as most of my listeners know, I, I listen to very few podcasts, so I haven't caught up on the most recent ones. That's okay. And And I have to admit that I haven't had time to read your new book yet. That's okay. I, I but I want to talk about it. It's I've been too I've been too busy reading email, you know? That's the ironic part is I was trying to finish <laughs> the book and I was getting all this email about other stuff and I couldn't answer the email cuz I was too busy writing a book about email. And so I, tell I, tell us tell us about your book. It's about email. <laughs> yes. No, what I, specifically about I had email? a crisis. I had a crisis when the paperless book came out. I finally got to the point where email was just completely wrecking my life because I was getting so much email from different things I was doing. And I realized that I had no control over it and I needed to figure it out. And I decided to do it kind of like as a, as a journey. And I did. So I wrote a book about it and it's not just, you know, tips and tricks for email. It's really about, why email is such a problem and it, it attempts to teach the readers about the different, first of all, how they should be thinking about email. And secondly, what are the underlying technologies of email? Because if you know that, then you can start using that to apply it to some of the services and software technologies available to get better at email. So I didn't, I didn't want to give people just one solution. I wanted to, to educate them and let them make big boy decisions. So what is the biggest problem with email as a concept the way we think about it i think that's the biggest problem we get we get we used to get stuff in the mail like if you brett if you looked at an envelope and sent me a letter i would like immediately cherish it and hold it next to my heart really yeah I'd, like right now yeah i would smell it to see if you put any perfume on it I, Careful, I, would, I have your i have your address <laughs> i would really you know that that's the way we were taught growing up about correspondence and then so we now we have email where anybody can send you stuff anytime they want and i think you want to you want to give it that same degree of of importance as if the you know that that artisanal mail that showed up in your mailbox and you can't because there's just so much of it and then you start having all these problems about well what do i answer and what don't i answer and uh, it just gets crazy. There's a lot of elements to it, but I think at the gut level, the problem is is the way we think about it. So I, I assume you're not suggesting that we print out uh, emails from Nairobi princes and give them extra love. No, those are the but easy the ones, but there's a lot of hard <laughs> ones. You know, kind of like discarding Target flyers and whatnot. Yeah. Um. So so how do how do you without you know giving away the whole cow here? Well, I, I I I'll tell you anything you want to know. It's it's a good well, book. I mean, we aren't going to cover it in an hour, but 
You you mentioned uh, technologies, yeah. Uh, making use of technologies. What are some examples of the kind of technologies you talk about? Well, I, I I go through kind of the explanation of Pop and IMAP and Gmail and Exchange, and basically there's there's the engine that drives your email, and I think people need to understand what kind of engine they have under their hood, and once they do that, they can make decision whether that's the right engine for them or they need to switch to a different car. And then once you pick where to continue this tortured analogy, what, what car you're driving, you need to figure out, you know, what, what kind of tools you're going to use to make it a better car, like, you know, a Wayfind and Sanebox and, you know, Apple Mail's rules and Google, Google plugins. And, you know, the, you know, depending on which direction you go, there's a lot of options out there. So I'm curious about this and not to belabor any points, but how does an understanding of IMAP and POP uh, affect the way that you view email? Well, it, it affects the tools that are available to you to manage it. Uh, like, okay. like right now, everybody is having kittens over the problem in Mavericks with Gmail. And I think if you understood Gmail a little better and understood that it really isn't a traditional IMAP or POP service, that it's something special and different, that you would really want to question whether you even wanted to try and use it in Apple mail that, you know, that's something that works better in a different place like the web or mail plane or one of these other applications that well, takes advantage of Gmail. I read, I read the tidbits article on the Gmail issues, but I thought those had been solved with a recent update. Is there another issue I'm not aware of? No, I think they're largely solved, but you know, the underlying problem is, is Gmail is a label slash tags based system that, doesn't fit into a traditional, you know, IMAP model because, uh, yeah. and, and people are trying to get it to work in Apple mail. And if you, you know, click the right boxes and tweak the right things, you can more or less get it working, but why wouldn't you just use it in a place where you can get the full, you know, power of those Gmail labels? Well, and maybe I use Gmail wrong, but I haven't had any problem yeah. integrating my system into because i guess i treat labels like folders yeah like i'm not i i use tagging on the side to put things in multiple places and associate with project projects but when it comes to where i put an email having multiple labels on things just seems um it confuses me it gets tedious it does some people love it though and like on on the imap side if you're going to do that and you really want tags there's a great product called mail tags that lets you do yes. that um, but you know, when I play with it, I find that I spend a lot more time creating those tags than I do actually using them, which is, you know, conversation you and I have been having going on now for a couple of years about how tags fit in our lives. Well, and I'm writing a book on tagging right now that will you know, obviously reference your book on email. Well, that's, that's great. That's what we call synergy in the business. However, I will say that I don't tag emails much at all. Yeah. Mail mail tags is great. I, I use especially the, the projects capabilities it has. Mm -hmm. But as far as like tagging every email that I want to remember, I, I don't because search has gotten to a point where if something came to me in email and if mail search can't find it, I'm more than happy to load up mail plane and, and use Gmail search uh, because it almost always within seconds gives me exactly the email I want before I could have even like performed a tag search. Yeah. And so one of the big recommendations I make in the book is just throwing your email into one big archive and searching for it. 
that's exactly what I do. Yeah. I'm I'm happy to know that's okay. Well, it, it's not. It's okay for you and me. It's not okay for everybody. There's not, like I did um, eight interviews at the end with with people from various walks of life uh, about how they deal with email. Aisha Tyler was one of them, and she said in her interview that she has. A couple folders. She doesn't have a lot, but she has a few, and it's really important to her to be able to find stuff through those folders. I'm sorry for all the dinging. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. MX is out of control. I, I mean, I, I just don't think there's really one solution, but I think with the modern search technologies, people who haven't considered just throwing it all into one archive really should. I mean, have you played with these tokens in Apple Mail, these search tokens? I think these. I think they're really yeah. powerful. They are. You mean like the ones where you can you can do from all everything? Yeah, like I'd say from Brett Terpstra. And now in Mavericks, they have, it looks at attachments. So I could say from Brett Terpstra and includes a keynote attachment. And I could find the one email you sent me before our Macworld presentation three years ago with one search. Spotlight is and has been for at least three operating systems, three versions of OS X now. The, the most amazing tool that I think is far too overlooked. Does can you do just from colon Brett Terpstra in uh, mail search, or do you have to select the token from the dropdown? Well, it it creates the token for you. If I let me just open it up real quick, Once right? I'm but done. if you type from colon, then it won't it won't create a from token, will it? Um, no, it won't. No, see, I have this I have this force of habit where yeah. like when I do tag searches in like over like Finder the spot in Spotlight, yeah. Yeah, I'll do I'll do tag colon in the name of a tag, and now with Mavericks, I can start typing the name of a tag, and it'll it, it the drop down will come up and say, "Do you want to search for the tag?" You know, Mavericks. I like that. Yeah, but it's it's I it, I like that it works both ways. I can type tag colon, or I can choose the token, and I'm pretty sure if I recall correctly, uh, that doesn't work in Mail. No, it doesn't. I just tested it. Why? Why would that be? I don't know. But see, if I just type Brett Terpstra, it's it comes up with your name, and I hit enter, and then it defaults to from. Yeah. And yeah. Then if I want to change it, I have to go use the mouse, which is just crazy. Why should you have to use the mouse, right? Is there a way? Okay. This is an overall question, both mail and finder. Have you ever found a way to change from search the current folder to search computer or search like inbox to search all with the keyboard? No, I don't think there is one. That's one shortcut that seems uh, like, I guess as a keyboard nut, it seems like a fatal flaw to me. I should be able I to, I should be able to hit command option F type in a search and then hit like, I don't know, control option one to jump to the first option for search scope. Yeah, you'd think, wouldn't you? I do think. But it doesn't. If you hit the command, because you can jump to across the, tool, the toolbar right. with command. But if you do that, it drops your search. Yeah. Apple! <laughs> I'm not sure I'd call it the, the deal killer, but it definitely no, would be for, faster. For 99.9% .9 of the population, they're, they're all wondering right now, why, why would you ever want to do that? Uh, Option command F, though, is a great tip. You know, and it works just about everywhere on the Mac. It does. Yeah, if Command F doesn't do the trick, just hold down Option, and you'll get to the search field. Oh boy, can you hear that dog? Yeah, it sounds like he's kind of uh, concerned about something. Yeah, two of them are freaking out right now. 
makes me want to run and see what's going on. You know what but, I think has happened on his little doggy Mac? He's trying to do a search and he wants to search all. <laughs> and he hit command but, A and it didn't work. But his paws don't work on the trackpad, so he has to find a way. Yeah, and there's no keyboard shortcut. Yeah. Apple fail. Apple fail. All right, I should take a sponsor break. Um, and I will be right back. That was awesome. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, w- let's talk a little bit about writing. Can we talk about writing? Yeah, totally. You've written quite a few books now. You have your field guides yes, series. There's four field guides, and there was two I did for Wiley. So that's six books. Can you believe that? It's crazy. I, I personally, I find that very impressive. Thanks. Do you, I mean, is it easy for you? Do you, uh, do you enjoy the process of of building out an entire book. The, uh, the field guides are much different than the books I did for a publisher because those, I just wrote the words and sent in screenshots. Um, these books, I'm writing the words, doing the layout, you know, doing the screencast, doing the interviews. So it's, it's a much more intensive project, but I absolutely love every minute of it. I mean, I, I feel like in some ways this is the most important stuff I've ever done in my life. I love it. That's cool. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's something like I love writing articles and blog posts. I really enjoy that. But I like that there's an end in sight at all times. Like you can see your 700, your 700 word count ticking to the end. Yeah. But when writing a book, you don't necessarily have a target word count. You don't necessarily have, you know, you might have an outline when you begin, but it's, it's malleable as you write. Yeah. I find that, um, demotivating for me. Well, it, it's definitely something where, uh, you know, the old story about eating an elephant one bite at a time and you just have to start somewhere and you have to want to finish it enough to, to work on it, you know, often. And this book in particular was very difficult for me to put together because it's a complicated subject and it doesn't lend itself to a real linear, um, story. And it also, doesn't have a single answer as we talked about in the last segment. I mean, I think a lot of different people have different needs and there isn't one size fits all email solution. And I I really wanted to empower the readers to make the right decisions and figure out email for themselves based on the stuff I was sharing. And so I had to figure a way to get that information across in a way that would get them there by the end of the end of the book. So it was not easy to figure out how I was going to put it together like for instance, the there's a whole chapter of what I call tactical email, and it's things like, you know, when do you reply all, and how should you fill out, you know, how should you write an email, and what information should you con- include in a subject line, and just things that are kind of basic, but they apply to any solution. So I wanted to put that in a place in the book where people could incorporate it to whatever direction they went. I think I'm rambling. No, it's all right. But that's all right. But it, it was it's just really hard. This book was really hard for me, but. At the end, I felt like it came together. And I think that's what you have to do on these big projects is just be willing to to keep slogging away. And there'd be some points I'd look at it and I'd say, this is complete rubbish. But I really want to make sure I have a good coverage of spam sieve because I know that's a really good spam solution. So I'm going to forget about all the problems I have with this book. And I'm going to write that <laughs> section today. You know? Yeah. Uh, see, I'm running into a similar issue with the tagging, uh, with the articles I've been writing and the the book that I'm working on. And that's that tagging, especially more than anything, any other topic in this arena 
is very personal. Yeah. Like you have to have a tagging system that works with the way you think. That's the whole point. And I can't tell people how to think. I can only tell them how to take the way they think, how to figure out how they think. Exactly. And how to, how to translate that into their own tagging system. You know what? If you can do that, it's going to be a great book because that's if, exactly if what I can we need. do that. It's, that's not yeah. easy. No, it's not. Let me ask you something. How do elephants hide in cherry trees? I don't know. I, how do they hide in cherry trees? They paint their toenails red. Oh. <laughs> now, let me ask you something else. Have you ever seen an elephant in a cherry tree? Um, I can't say I have, even though I worked in the Jungle Cruise for four years. See, it works. <laughs> have you ever read the elephant book? No, but now the I the elephant to. joke book or something. Oh, I, I have to find a link for you. The, um, I can tell it, you my an... jungle cruise elephant jokes if you'd like. Okay. Tell me a joke. Okay. So on the left, you will see the African bull elephant. That's the most feared, second most feared animal of the jungle. And then, uh, if you look on the right, you'll see the most feared animal of the jungle. That's his mother-in-law. <laughs> oh, mother-in-law jokes. Yeah, I know. That's the Disney approved yeah. one. I had some others that weren't so Disney approved. Well, the, the, the book I'm talking about is all Disney approved and they're the most ridiculously stupid jokes that you can't help laugh about. How do you, I, I love it. I just told this one oh. to my daughter the other day. What do you call a fly without wings? A beetle? A walk. <laughs> she thought that was oh, the man. dumbest joke. I think she lost all respect for me when I told her that. Well, I I won't drag this out, but I will say that stupid jokes are my favorite. I don't do well at parties. I don't get along well with people. Yeah. Don't care to. Uh, So when I am uncomfortable, I just tell really dumb jokes, like real, like groaners. And uh, I find it, it's kind of a, it's a coping mechanism, but it's one I do very intentionally just to make people walk away, I think. You know what's weird about me is if I'm in a, a room with a big group of people, I'm totally okay with that. I, yeah, you, or, you seem gregarious enough. Or even like speaking. I can speak to like, I can speak to a thousand people. It wouldn't bother me. When you put me with just two people, I am like really, I have trouble with that. I'm an introvert on an interpersonal except, level. Except, well, see, introverts do well with one or two people. Well, then I don't if, know what I am, if, but I have trouble. If, that, if those people know how to properly interact with an introvert. Yeah. If they have full focus on you and you're on in the spotlight with just one or two people, yeah, that's a pickle. But, like, for me, in a huge room, I, I, I can't cope at all. Like, I, I curl up in a corner. But speaking is a different, different uh, dynamic for me because I'm not expected to interact with these people. Not expected to single out like a circle of people and and be funny. I get to just control the conversation. Yeah, and that I can do. Yeah, that's true. It's easier in some respect. Yeah, I think it's way easier for at least for introverts. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, public figures are probably introverts. I I think Barack Obama's an introvert. Yeah, I don't think he does well glad handing. That's a good. I think most politicians are probably a introverted and b uh, uh, sociopathic, sociopath, sociopaths. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It takes a special personality to go in politics. I, I and I'm not one. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's. I think that personality is 
sociopath. Like you really have to have really thick skin, not take other people's feelings too far into account. I yeah. think I, I don't think I like politicians. Yeah. No offense to my political friends, but I I don't have any friends in politics. Me either. <laughs> I try to avoid that. Yeah. Uh, and then like the exposure I have to politics is like local stuff as a part of my day job. I run into it once in a while. And those guys are such a bunch of yahoos. I mean, why do people go into local politics? Is I, it so they can get into state and national I, politics? I, I don't even know. I honestly don't get it. But then why, you know, why does somebody obsess over email for a year and write a book on it with 36 screencasts? I guess we all have our own, you know, at least foibles. I can relate to that. Yeah. I can relate to that kind of obsession. Yeah. And you might make some money on it. Maybe there's money in local politics that I don't know about. That's a scary part, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Anyway, anyway, now my brain is like, uh, uh, where were we? We were talking about writing. <laughs> we were talking about writing and then I had to go off on the dumb joke thing. Yeah. And now I'm, I'm doing my best to wrangle in once I, once I tell a stupid joke, it just, my brain just starts queuing them up. Oh, great. Well, just, and, just one and, more, just one more. So these two string beans are walking down the road and a large semi truck drives by and one of them gets smashed under the tire and, uh, and the vegetable paramedics all show up and they rush them on a stretcher into the hospital. And after about an hour, the, the other, the healthy, you know, good, the one that didn't get run over uh, string bean is sitting out in the waiting room and the doctor comes out and says, well, I have good news and I have bad news. And he says, well, doctor, uh, give me the good news. And he says, well, your friend is going to survive. And he says, okay, well, give it to me straight. What's the bad news? He's going to be a vegetable for life. <laughs> okay. I like that. I like that. I'm gonna, That's because you're weird like me. I'm going to use that on my daughter. So I have, a, I have a 12 year old, so, but she's quirky like me and, and she'll take stuff like that. Whereas well, the, the good, 17 year old will just one. look at me and shake her head. Oh, like, that's all that 17 year olds do though, isn't it? I mean, would that, would it really matter what you said? No, she's actually kind of awesome in a lot of ways, but, but when it comes to I didn't to say that, she wasn't awesome. No, I mean, she's like, we have real conversations and she doesn't just shake her head at me all the time, but boy, if I go to those dumb jokes, she has no patience for that. <laughs> I have, uh, I have, I have some friends that are, uh, just, just out of high school, uh, musicians that I've met and stuff. And, uh, there are actually like, I think of the 17 to 20 year old crowd as being uh weird, uh, immature, hard to get along with. I know I was, but these are really great kids. The ones that I know, and I'm always, I'm constantly impressed by their level of maturity. There's something, they still have that, uh, activist drive that you find in teenagers that need to change the world. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's something that fades as you get older and it's harder and harder to relate to as you age. Hey, you know, I haven't had that experience. I, I'm still just a, I'm crazy about, I don't even talk about politics on the show because people couldn't take it. I believe that. I believe that. So you've never, you never felt like your youthful ideals, like you had grown out of them. No, if anything, as I get older, I feel like I have more freedom to, to do something about it. Maybe that's has any something to do with your position, your day job, but 
for me, I just like I get angry and passionate about politics, but I feel completely helpless. And I feel like everything I used to do as a kid with, you know, sit ins and protests and all of this stuff was ultimately fruitless. And I find myself just saying, well, screw it. Yeah. Apathy. That's tough. It's, I'm not apathetic, though. I'm, I, I really do care about stuff. I, I'm really right. One of my things I'm politically right now very charged up about is money. I think there's just way, way too much money in the American political system. And I think it's like the poison that's killing everything, whether you're a hippie liberal or right wing, you know, far to the right person. You shouldn't want companies or people to buy votes. And it seems like that's really the system now. And Larry Lessig has been writing a lot about it. And, you know, that he has like solutions where pol politicians aren't beholden to fundraisers. Instead, isn't it? Go ahead. Instead, the people that, that elect them. I mean, it used to be when we formed America, the idea was um, politicians are puppets and the strings are held by the people that put them there, that, that elect them, the people who cast the votes. And now politicians are puppets and they're beholden to the people that gave them the money. And that's exactly what I was going to say when I interrupted you before was uh, like, it's frustrating that 98, 99, um, uh, statistically it, it, irrelevant, but most of America would agree with what you just said about, you know, money and politics, but we don't matter anymore. Like yeah. if we're not corporations that are funneling all of our funds into campaigns, we don't technically have a vote. But if we could mobilize ourselves enough to pass a constitutional amendment or do something to take money out of politics, I think a lot of our other problems would be easier to solve. Well, you know, I'm just like, I'm just like totally stepping on the third rail. Let's go into religion now. No, no, well, no, I just, I figured out how to, how to circle this back around. So a major uh, technique tactic that has been adopted by the Obama administration and by others, I assume, although I don't get them from everybody is email. Yeah. Have, do you, they do this AB testing with the emails from the president, the emails from the white house and the democratic party, um, where they will, they'll test like a ton of different subjects to see which ones get the most click through and the, like the open rate on them. Oh, really? Yeah. Now that's, it's kind of insidious. Like you ever get the emails that say, Hey there from the, like the Democrats. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's an AB test. Hey there, these like personal greetings. Kind of like the, the way the Huffington post puts multiple titles on their articles till they figure <laughs> out which one they're going to use. Well, AB testings, uh, it's a really smart, it, it, you can, you can sit around with a think tank all day and decide what people want. But when you put a product out there, people will tell you whether you got it right or not. So why not just make the decision cycle part of the production cycle? Yeah, that is uh, it, it works. interesting and but, kind of scary all at once. Yeah. So so do you cover the the topic of um, like newsletters at all in your book? The idea of things that you did subscribe to, but that aren't. Yeah, I of minute to minute importance. Yeah. So I, I call those, um, bacon, you know, it's not really spam. It's stuff you kind of asked for. Um, Good word. And it's actually not my word. I, it, it's been on the internet for some time. It's bacon without the O. And if you look it up, it was like kind of a thing a few years ago, but 
Um, I use that. I, I solve that problem with SaneBox. I mean, SaneBox is such a great tool if you are dealing with a lot of email and and SaneBox automatically routes stuff like that for me into my news folder. Mm-hmm. And and I don't go through that one very often. In fact, that is the lowest priority box in all my email. If if all the bullets are flying and I just don't have time, that stuff just gets dumped. I am a huge SaneBox fan. Are you? Okay. Well, so you I, did it. Yeah. I, my, I've, I've tweeted my affiliate link out of excitement enough times that I haven't had to pay for a year now. Oh really? Um, I should have yeah, done that. But, I didn't. I just gave him the link. <laughs> I'll put yours in the show link for you. I don't even um, have one. <laughs> yeah, you do. You oh, do. do just go to click on the little share this share share your Sanebox link at the bottom of your settings page. Oh, okay. And it'll give you a special little short URL. And in, and I mean I don't I don't tweet it because I need people to pay my way through no, Sanebox. No, it's just a great service. I just yeah, I honestly appreciate the service and I am in the strong habit of using affiliate links whenever I do enjoy something. I wish they had had an affiliate link for my walking desk, my treadmill desk. Yeah. Because I a few of those and I'd be I'd be making back the money that Amazon took away from me. Yeah. Do you still get Amazon affiliate sales? Yeah, in California we do, but you know, we pay in California, we pay tax on pretty much everything we buy in Amazon. I would I would pay tax. Uh, that was a big part of my income and Amazon completely cut the program off in Minnesota. Yeah. Well, they made a deal with Governor Brown here, and I don't really know the details of it, but I do know that now I get taxed on most of the stuff I buy in Amazon and I do get affiliate sales, but you know, I don't really push that stuff too much. It's not really my thing. Um, I do include affiliate links in the books, but mainly those are through the iTunes stuff because you know, I'm, yeah. I'm talking about apps and things like that. And, well, and you, we get 7% from iTunes now. Yeah, we're we're giving great? away all the, all the secrets right now. Yeah, but... That's a new update. And you know, I, I actually met some of the people at Apple that, that were working on that program. And those guys are really smart. They've been trying to, they've been advocating for, bloggers and people out there writing for a long time and they're finally kind of getting their way. So they work better, like across multiple countries, you get a higher percentage. They're a lot easier to create. How do you create your affiliate link now? I, well, I have a text expander snippet for, for, uh, that lets me do a fill in with a campaign. So I just type comma, comma, AFF at the end of, uh, uh, any iTunes link and it'll fill that in. But my blog creates them automatically and I text editors, my like spreadsheet of yeah. iOS text editors, it creates them automatically. Do you think anybody has any interest in us talking about this? Or did we just lose like everybody? I can edit. Yeah. I'm just I curious. Can edit. Oh, I, I think people, I think people are curious though, to some extent, like how bloggers make money. I don't really make very much money off those affiliate links, but you know, occasionally. I wouldn't, I, I don't, yeah, it's not a significant source of income for me, but it's better than nothing. Yeah, exactly. What the one thing with the new, and, and if anyone at Apple hears this, my only complaint with the new PHG system is that I have to have a separate bank set up for every currency. If I want to get Hong Kong dollars or Australian dollars or yen or anything other than U.S. dollars into my bank account, I have to set it up again with a swift number for each currency. Yeah, see, I haven't got to the point where I've tried to figure out how to get any money out of the system yet. 
<laughs> so what? Well, I'll tell get, you, I, I text editors. <laughs> I text editors as a pretty. When when they made this change, they contacted me three months in advance. Nice. Well, you know, because that, that's I text such a editors is one of the well, it's one of the biggest like sources of affiliate links. I mean, it, so it's 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 relevant, I guess. I I love that you did that, and I still use it. So, what are you using these days as your iText editor? <laughs> are you afraid to say? Up. <laughs> no, I gave up on editing much on my oh, iOS you? devices. <laughs> I, I editorial is my writing tool of choice these days. Yeah, I still love Byword, and for notes, I use um, Notes. Yeah, but editorial just it just kick the the crap out of everything else everything else yeah it is pretty amazing i i'm I, it's funny because you pick the three that i use the three most often i use notesy as it's my link to nvlt so you know i just got notesy pointed at my um text files from my nvlt on dropbox so that's the app i open up if i want to get into all my reference text files and i've got hundreds of them but thanks to you um <laughs> and uh and then i use I, I like to write in editorial, but I still use I still use Byword all the time because it's just so convenient to have it on every platform, and the yeah. iCloud sync so nice. Just uh, you know, before we start recording, I had a, about a half hour to kill, and I sat down with my iPad and I dictated into Byword like three different. One was a long email, one was an article from Max Sparky, and all that stuff. I just talked the words into Byword. And now they're on my Mac and I can go and fiddle with them and do whatever I need. I didn't need to use any fancy editorial tools. I just needed to get some words sure. into a system somewhere. And well, Byword is great for that. When you're writing your field guides, do you use iOS much? Yeah. the You know, this is an interesting one. I've always used um, Scrivener for it. And I had this really kludgy system to get those onto iOS. And I am, I do produce content on my mobile devices all the time because, you know, my, uh, my world is kind of hectic and I have different obligations where I'm always on the road and always moving around. So I don't always have a Mac in front of me. And if the mood strikes me to write, I want to be able to do it anywhere. With the email guide, I went ahead and wrote the entire thing in, of all places, Apple I work pages. I wrote the whole book in pages. Wow. And, um, you know, they had a really nice outlining system on the Mac, Mac, Mac pages up until a few weeks ago. And so I did outline once I, I did, started the outline as a mind map, you know, and, yeah. and then I put it into pages as an outline. And so I could go on my Mac and fiddle with the outline and move things around as, as the mood struck me. But the bottom line was at any point I could open my phone or my iPad and pick up wherever I just left off. And I use dictation and I use keyboards and I use my thumbs and I use, you know, anything that I could use to get words into that system. I'm obviously doing it wrong. Well, I think <laughs> I think part of the problem with writing a book is is obsessing too much on what tools am I going to use at some point? Just pick a horse and climb on and start writing. And, and that's what I did. I, I, I started in a mind map and flushed it out as far as I could and then just did an OPML import into Scrivener. Yeah. And I've just been writing there. The problem I'm running into, as I get into longer form stuff, I'm seeing that when I work in the kind of divided way that Scrivener allows you to, I tend to muddle my um, my topics. And you would think that because 
you're working like within a specific document that has a specific title and a specific synopsis that you would stay on task or stay on topic. But I find that I start referencing things that may change in order and I repeat things and it kind of, it gets messy. And I almost feel like I need to just work in one long document or select like my draft folder and view all everything as scriveners, scrivenings. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you the, ever, no, I get you it. You run into that or, I mean, I wrote almost all my other books in Scrivener. This was the first time I did it outside. And the reason was because I wanted to get it on iOS and Scrivener does have an iPad app in the works. And as a, from what I've been told, it's going to be pretty great when it comes out. Of course it is. But the, um, until then, you know, I'm trying to figure out what to do with the next one because I now have another mind map started on another field guide that hopefully you and I'll talk about in another <laughs> six months or eight months or 10 years or however long it takes me to finish it. And I have to make some decisions about where I'm going to write that. And I'm not sure that the new pages is the right place. And I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I, I like Ulysses too. Yes. And, um, there are so many good writing tools. That's yeah. what, that's what you were talking about though. Is yeah. like, you have to pick a horse. Yeah, I agree. And I have, I, I'm probably going to just do this next one in Scrivener. And, and what I did before, cause I got tired of trying to sync Scrivener over to the iPad. Cause then you would have the situation, you know, whenever you require the user to, to go somewhere and push a button to sync things, you're mm -hmm. introducing this element of error that even savvy users like you and me are going to inevitably screw up. And, and Actually, so more so the more, you know, the more danger it is. Yeah. So you're going to have the situation where you made changes on one device and also on the other, and they're not synced and it's just nuts. So what I've been, what I did on the books before, um, email was I wrote the whole thing in Scrivener, but I had a byword document just called, you know, paperless, you know, text. And whenever the mood struck me, if I was out, I would work on new text on my iPad or iPhone, but I wouldn't do any editing. And then I sure. would just block and copy that text out of Byword into wherever it belonged in Scrivener. And I did all the edits on the Mac. And you know what? That, that worked out okay. See, it seems like I like that idea a lot uh, because it would work with the way that I, I do work. Um, but it seems like you would run into even more of the issue I was talking about before where you don't. You don't draw all the connections properly and you don't, uh, or you repeat concepts. No, no, it just takes a little planning, you know, like you'd say, planning. okay, <laughs> you'd say like, okay, on the tagging book, I want to talk about, you know, what, you know, the colors, you know, cause they have what is it, seven or eight colors now. And I want to write a little bit about that. So you just put that into that byword document, just the title. And you just make a point to yourself not to write that until you have time and you're seeing your iPad. Can you see why I went and just did it in pages last time? It's already sounding convoluted. <laughs> and then the other problem is I need an editor. I can't just write this stuff and publish it. I need someone to read it. And Oh, absolutely. And, um, and pages has good track changes and my editor likes her Mac and it works out great. So inevitably the text is going to end up in pages anyway. I mean, it, at, at some point I abandoned Scrivener and then the, the live document becomes the pages document. And so the Scrivener text becomes dated and it doesn't get the edits. And so it's really of no use to me at that point. It was great to me in the process of organizing and writing it. But at some point it's, you know, what is it? Cortez who burned his ships when he arrived at the coast. This is, you, you kind of burn your ships, you leave Scrivener. And then 
in my workflow, once I get done with my editor and I start putting the stuff into iBooks Author, then I burn the ships again in pages. And the real text is in iBooks Author because then, you know, of course, we have additional edits at that point, too. Yeah. And what? All right. I'm going to take a sponsor break and then I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. Our first sponsor today is Shopify, a hosted e-commerce solution that allows you to set up and run your own online store in minutes. Pick a template, add your products, pick your payment processor from PayPal to Stripe to Authorize.net and ship your stuff with just a few clicks. With Shopify, it's easy to sell online and there's no software to download, host, upgrade, or maintain. Pick from over 100 professionally designed e-commerce templates or create your own with full control over the HTML and CSS. There are no bandwidth limits and no need to worry about scaling when your store becomes popular. Every Shopify store is level 1 PCI DSS compliant and totally secure. Shopify has just announced their Shopify POS. It's an iPad application that lets you sell your Shopify products in a physical retail setting. It's quick and easy. Browse your store's catalog, pick a customer's products, swipe their credit card, and print their receipt or send it through email. You can automatically sync products and orders, and there's only one dashboard to manage all your retail and online stores. Get Shopify POS hardware, which includes a credit card reader, cash drawer, iPad stand, and receipt printer. And if you order online, shipping is free. Visit shopify.com slash 5x5 and you'll get three months for free. Check them out today. All you need is something to sell. Okay, so let's see. Since we're talking about writing tools and we're talking about formats, like whether you're an iBooks author or you're in Pages or you're in Markdown and Scrivener, um, when it comes to output formats, is iBooks author frustrating to you because it, it eliminates the possibility of of making edits in one place and publishing to multiple platforms? Not to me because of the what because of what I do. Um, you know, I am I am kind of out on the edge a little bit because iBooks author is my primary the Max Sparky printing empire starts and ends with iBooks author. I mean, I write stuff about Apple products, and so I'm using Apple's tools, and I don't really care about ever. In fact, I don't even get emails anymore about people asking me to put stuff in the Amazon bookstore. I've never gotten that email, but I used see, I'm to. Thinking, I used to, but I I'm don't. I'm thinking anymore. about stuff like LeanPub. Have you seen LeanPub? Yeah, I know. I know there's other options out there, but have you seen the the layout of my books? I mean, they're. I know. I know. You can't do it's, that anywhere exactly. else. Exactly. But it would be awesome if there was a system where I could take a markdown document that's on, you know, like LeanPub pulls from my Dropbox, and anytime I make a change to the markdown structure in that Dropbox, I can output a new PDF and Kindle and EPUB yeah. uh, automatically. Yeah. And it's it's an awesome system. And no, you can't do the the in-depth kind of formatting that you can do with iBooks Author or even Pages. Yeah. But it's it's a central point. And if I could also, if I could make an edit in an iBook, in iBooks Author, and then have that edit propagate to other formats, I'd be so much happier. Well, that's pretty much never going to happen, in my opinion. I know. Uh, I know. Well, like another thing about these iBook Author books, I, I don't know if you know it or not, but Mike Rohde was my illustrator. He did the whole yeah, book. Yeah, I heard that. And... It's like I I get to place an image, Mike, 
makes in the book exactly where I want it. The kerning or the, the way it's going to line up on the words is going to be exactly how I intended it to be. I mean, it really is old school publishing. And, and EPUB will never get to that point. Exactly. And I, I control the to. typeface. I know, I know exactly what word is going to end each page. If you, if you read these books in the landscape view, you're seeing them as I intended them. Now, if you don't like that, you can turn it in portrait view and you can change the fonts and make them bigger and smaller and do a bunch of different things. But generally, um, in for an electronic format to have the author be able to control everything is, is pretty great. And, and frankly, you know, that's where my audience is. Everybody that reads my stuff, really, they own an, a Mac or an iPad already. So it works out for me. And then I, and they do. And then I guess the other thing I didn't say was you can put a PDF out for my book's author. And that's how I do this book, you know, cause it's in 51 countries, but there's some countries where People live and they don't have it available or they don't have a Mac or an iPad or for one reason or another, they want a PDF version. So when I finish the book in iBooks author, I save another copy of it and I call it, you know, 1.0 PDF. And I go through and I make changes in the book, like all the hot links that go to screencasts, I, I disable. And like the beginning of the book where I'm talking how to use iBooks author I, or iBooks, I take that out and rewrite it for PDF. And then I, I spit out, it, 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 it exports a PDF version. And then I, I save that. And then I have a folder where I put all the screencasts and all the audio interviews. And I put it all into a package and I sell it through um, through the internet. And you can buy it and download all that stuff for people that don't have or the ability to or don't want the iBooks version. So in a sense, that gives me what you were talking about. Because if I make the change, once I make the change, like I'm going to, I'm already got a 1.1 open of this book. So I found a few typos and there was a, there was a problem with one screencast and I fixed all that stuff. Now, when I finish that and it's all done, then I'll do the exact same thing. I'll, I'll output a PDF, a new PDF version. Well, fair enough, but it, it's more work. It's not as easy as just pushing one button and sticking out, you know, seven copies or seven. Right. Versions. But, but yeah, there's definitely a trade off for the control that you have the yeah. layout control. Yeah. I'm, I'm still, there are a well, few issues. We, I really want to know what you thought of the layout of this book. Cause I was actually thinking about, there's two people I was thinking about you and Adam Christensen. Cause both of you guys are like total like design nerds. And I was thinking, man, if I make this and I screw it up, I don't want uh, Brett and Adam to be mad. What do you think? Did you look at it? You I, I, I did, but I didn't look at it with the, uh, the intention of critiquing the design. I, I'm I want loading you to it do up that. right now. I want you to do that for me at some point. Because I'm, I'm opening it. I, I've always had this thing for the arts and crafts style. So I made my own template and it's arts and crafts based template. Like, you know, like stickly green and green. Yeah. 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 It, it's, um, I have a progress bar that's at about 5%. Oh, yeah. Are, what if you're downloading mean? it, we'll just, we'll talk later. <laughs> well, I, yeah. If I had my iPad here, it's downloaded on my iPad. Yeah. No, but don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But I'll, I'll tell send, you what I think. Send me a note later. I want to know. I will do that. I will yeah. do that. I'm sure it's beautiful. Yeah. I think it's good. I, I'm happy with it. I like that it's just mine. My uh, my children's book that is still under construction, without iBooks author, that, that book could not exist. Yeah. I kind of feel I the mean, same way about my books, too. I mean, what other format could I write these things in where I could put an hour and a half of video Right, you know, right. And, Interactivity mixed with layout control in uh, a format that's easy to distribute. 
within a certain audience. It's 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 a brilliant move by Apple to provide this. Like there's a and yeah, it's really beneficial to authors. I think to to a certain category of authors, not everybody. If you're writing a novel, I don't think it really is the right solution. Yeah, well, who cares if yeah. you're writing a novel and it doesn't matter what word ends a page or where you know, and there are no screencasts. Yeah, LeanPub is perfect. Like I, in the introductory section, I talk about the email problem and there's a page there where I've got a picture of E.B. White. Cause there's, I don't know if you, have you ever read that letter by E.B. White to the library and it was on letters of note several years ago? <laughs> read. <laughs> okay. Well, let me tell you. So E.B. White's a guy who wrote Charlotte's Web and he got very popular all of a sudden and every librarian in the country started telling all these kids to write letters to this author about how much they like Charlotte's web. And so he would every day get this pile of mail and try and deal with it. And at some point a kid wrote him and said, well, you, you know, when are you going to write another book? And he wrote the kid back and said, essentially I'll write another book when you guys stop writing me. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and the librarian got it and got upset and wrote him a letter and he wrote her back. And it's this very long letter. And he kind of, at the, the big point in it, he says, is the morning mail is my enemy. I have these great ideas, but then I look at the stack of unanswered mail on my desk and, you know, that's the problem. And, and it's, it's an old problem. It's not just an email problem. But in that chapter, so I have Mike Rohde draw an illustration of E.B. White. And if you tap on it, it opens up a pop up with a whole bunch of information about him. Nice. And then in the sidebar, I have the entire text. It, this, this letter he wrote was like 1500 words. I can't put it in the middle of a book. But it's got one of those scrolling sidebars where you can just read the whole letter. And I mean, stuff like that is only possible with iBooks author. You couldn't just make an EPUB to do that. Well, you can make a web page. And that's what I always think of is, is the, the UX tricks that we've learned in web design kind of, I think, inspired iBooks yeah. and the way that the way that you can incorporate large amounts of information in small spaces and still make it entirely usable, which is kind of modern web design is all about that. Yeah. It, it feels to me because everybody says, if you know pages and keynote, then you can do iBooks author. But I think another, another ancestor of iBooks author is iWeb. It feels a lot like iWeb. I have to admit I, I've been a web designer since the dawn of the web. I've never used iWeb. Well, you wouldn't. I have no because, idea what it's like. Well, it was it's an Apple experience to build a website. So it's got all, everything you can imagine that Apple would do. It's like you drag in an image and it just shows up on the page. I mean, it, it wasn't very friendly with outside formats. I mean, they've obviously killed it off now. But um, a lot of the iWeb feel to me is an iBooks author. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty templates, that. good typography. Some customization, but not crazy. I I believe that. I uh I can't imagine Apple creating, you know, Dreamweaver, which was not a very friendly. Yeah. And and if you used it in its friendliest form, it made the most god awful code. Like if you didn't know what you were doing, and you just wanted a WYSIWYG editor, and you just drag things into place, it would just destroy your code. It's funny how that has all just kind of gone away now, because these web-based services now make it so easy to do it. You don't need software anymore. 
Is that is that? Do you think that's the alternative these days? Is just use like something like Squarespace? Well, for for mortals, it is. I mean, I mean, you're Brett Terpstra. <laughs> you know, I I don't. You you know more about HTML and CSS and that stuff in your pinky than I know in my entire body. But I can still put together a pretty good looking website with a Squarespace account. Well, no, uh, that's the thing is. When people, when old clients come back to me and clients that I had back when I was a freelancer and had more time, um, and they say, Hey, I need, I need to create a new website. Can you help me out? I send them to Squarespace and friends because I, they, they can create a better website faster than I would have time over the next, you know, three weeks to even start on. It's, uh, it's a great, it's a great alternative to paying a web designer. Uh, and I'm sorry to all the freelance web designers out there who depend on that income, but a Squarespace site takes less time to set up than a quick one-off WordPress site, and you can start putting content in immediately. Yeah, and the the empowering part for the client is since they created it, they can make changes to it. Exactly. I mean, it, it feels like when you hire someone to make a $10,000 WordPress site, um, and you want to, and you change your email address, and you want to go in and change your email address. It, it feels to mortals a little bit like diffusing a bomb. That like I could potentially go in here and push some button wrong or add one character somewhere. And oh, I remember that feeling. I remember the. I, I can remember the first time I did just about everything. Yeah, I remember the first time I I went in and modified email. First time I ever set a password on an account. I, or the first time I ever faced a Unix prompt, like I remember that feeling of kind of excitement mixed with dread. Like if I type the wrong key right now, what's going to happen? Yeah. I like that feeling though. I look for, I search out that feeling. I always look for new and dangerous territories. Yeah. Well, I think we all do in our own ways, right? Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, everyone has their thing where they're willing to take that, uh, the risk. It's a sense and of for adventure. some people it's computers, some people it's rock climbing. Yeah, it's it's. I guess everyone has their thing. I assume everyone has their thing. There may be some people out there with no thing. You think that'd be sad? It would be. Even if you even if you don't go in your mind somewhere dirty with that. Well, they you know let's say you you have no interest in computers, but you do want to see what happens if you add a minor seventh to the chord. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, somebody's, you have a sense of adventure in something everybody does. I'm convinced that everybody has an artist streak in them and they just, they just exert it in different ways. I 100% agree. I, I think early on in this show, I did some episodes on creativity, but it has been my longstanding belief that it would be impossible to survive as a human without creativity. And it doesn't have to be, you know, putting paint on a canvas. Yeah, it just has to be thinking, expanding what you already know with things that you literally make up, whether they've been done by someone else before or not. If you don't know that and you discover it, that's creativity. That's that's thinking outside the box and everyone can do it. Amen, brother. I like. Um, I like creating. I li I have a real. Real, um, I keep, I keep going. My brain keeps moving to words. I don't want to stay on this podcast, but I, I have a, a fetish of sorts for the idea of 
creating something where there was nothing before. It's it's like um to me it's like a drug. It's like you get high on it. Yes. And by the way, your book is beautiful. I'm looking right oh, at good. it finally Thanks. loaded. Thanks. These illustrations are great. I'll tell Mike you did a good job. Yeah. But even just like the layout, I tried to be very geometric and follow. I looked at a bunch of what I did is I went and got a bunch of old pictures of stickly and green and green and furniture, like the craftsman style furniture. Mm -hmm. And I looked for the lines in it. And then I looked at a bunch of pictures of some of the older stuff Frank Lloyd Wright did. I didn't like his newer stuff as much as the older stuff. And, and I really like those geometrics in there and they're very easy to implement and they look really classy. Yeah. I like the, I like the kind of, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright art deco chapter headers. Those are cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did when I did the paperless book. I started with an Apple template because I it was early days. I mean, it was like the day it, the app went live because I had already started writing paperless and I brought it into iBooks Author, and I I made adjustments to the Apple template, but you could still tell it was based on an Apple template, and uh, I didn't like that other people could make books that looked like mine. Yeah, yeah, I know the feeling. I, when we did our book together, I had the same kind of quandary. Yeah. Well, we did a different design for that one too. Yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, you're still customizing. You only have so many design options in iBooks Author, but yeah. if you can't work within a grid, then you're not a designer. Yeah, well, limitations are thrilling. I'm definitely not a designer, and so I don't know if I was making a mistake doing these changes myself and not like hiring somebody. But um, I really found a theme that I liked and. And I decided to go with it. There's the other thing is if you look at the bottom of the pages, there's a little bit of um, yep. a little de detail there. Flourish. It, yeah. And it's very, it's very light. In an earlier version, I had it at the top and the bottom and I had like little squares, colored squares. And I got to realize, you know, it, just because I can doesn't mean I should. <laughs> yeah. I could see how that would kind of box in the, uh, the, uh, eye flow there. Yeah. Our next sponsor today is Shutterstock.com, where you'll find over 28 million images, stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and 1 million video clips. Start your search at Shutterstock.com to find that perfect image for your website, ad, publication, or any other creative project. Shutterstock.com gives you a global image collection to find images from around the world to suit your project. Choose between image packs and monthly subscription packages. Choose whatever fits your need and never have to compromise. If you need just one image for your blog or mock-up, you can do that too. Every time you visit Shutterstock, you'll find something new since they add 20,000 new images every day and 12,000 videos every week. And it's more affordable than you think with no extra charge for large files. Just download any image at any size and pay only one price. They don't nickel and dime you for high-resolution images. If you need them, just take them. Easily curate and share pictures via light boxes. You can choose your favorite pictures or videos and add them to your own Lightbox gallery as you search. You can also use their iPad app to do this. Then there's something called Enhanced License Access. If you like an image and you want to run it on print or swag for your trade shows, then get you an enhanced license for any image. They also have a huge library of vectors, icons, infographic templates, and video clips should you need any of those. If you need help at Shutterstock.com, you get an account rep dedicated to you who will answer any questions. They also have 24-hour support during the week. Sign up for a free browse account at Shutterstock.com, no credit card needed. When you find the images you like and decide to purchase, use the offer code DANSENTME1113 and get 25% off of any package you put together 
over at Shutterstock.com. Okay, so that brings us to the top three picks. Um, let's uh, let's start with you, David. And what is your first top pick of the week? Uh, you know, I'm going to go with one. It's an album that I've been listening to a lot lately. In fact, if you follow me on Twitter, you're probably tired of hearing about it. But just recently, I bought the 2009 release of Kind of Blue, the Miles Davis album. They did a 50th anniversary one. It's called the Legacy Edition. It's got a bunch of extra tracks on it. And uh, I'm really a big jazz fan. And a lot of people write me sometimes and say, well, what's a good place to get started with it? And I think in terms of this is one of the best albums ever made in terms of jazz. And uh, there's just some great tracks on there. One of them that I recommend is track three, Blue and Green. It starts out with these really great Bill Evans chords. They're kind of modal. And then Miles hits that first note in that song, and I think it might be the best note ever played by anyone on a trumpet. <laughs> nice. I mean, you, you almost play, have to hear it to listen to. I don't know. It's just you it, play a little jazz yourself, right? You know, I used to. When I was in high school, I was in a bunch of honor bands and played jazz, and I did some studio work. I almost made a living out of it, and um, decided that it wasn't my thing for a living thing, but it was just kind of fun. Is it saxophone you played? Well, I used to. I, I don't even pretend to play the saxophone anymore. Now I play the piano more than anything else. And I play like Thelonious Monk music and it's terrible, <laughs> but I really enjoy it. I pretend to play the saxophone all the time. Yeah. I used to be really pretty good, uh, but I was like, remember the Honey Drippers? Are you old enough to remember them? It was like a big deal, like kind of like the rockabilly thing in the mid 80s. And I was... I'm, I may be old enough, but I wasn't really allowed to listen to secular music until i was until like the year 96 really wow that's yeah, a whole nother but, conversation i want to talk about yeah that it, is. it is but the uh so they came out and everybody wanted saxophones on their demo tapes and i was in southern california so i'd go out to la for a couple hundred bucks i'd i'd lay down like a take a tenor sax and lay down 16 measure blues on your demo tape for your rockabilly band and nice and i thought i had the whole world figured out i was so smart <laughs> Boy, if I was just as smart now as I used to be. Yeah, I have friends that that were studio musicians in the eighties. That seems to be a less uh, less popular or less less common uh, means of making money. I these wanted days. to do it so badly. I wanted it to be my career. I was all set. I mean, I I was pretty good, and and there was a guy named Bud Shank, and he was uh, part of the fifties cool jazz. That's another area of jazz I just love, love, love. Is West Coast fifties cool jazz and that was that was some good stuff yeah i mean oh, i could give you some albums for that too but the uh but bud shank was like one of my heroes and so this is in the 80s so he's he's older but he's not that old but he was there when all this stuff happened so it was like you know finding religion meeting bud shank and and he told me he gave me the best advice i ever received about being a musician he said if you can't imagine yourself doing anything but playing that saxophone then that's what you should do but if you can imagine yourself doing anything else, then you should do that. <laughs> and that makes sense. And you know, that at the time sense. I just, I wasn't that I love, I liked playing it. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't the only thing in my life. You know, I had other things I was interested in and, and so I, um, I moved on, but anyway, awesome. the pick is kind of blue legacy edition. You get in iTunes. It's a two disc set, lots of tracks. Some of it's live. There's a video in there. Just really good stuff. Nice. My first pick's going to be an album. No, 
It's going to be a band. All right. Let's see if I can make it an album. They have a new album out. Um, the band's called Polisa. And I honestly don't know how people classify them genre-wise. They're kind of uh, psych pop. But I saw them, I saw their their first, I guess the last of their like local band performances at First Avenue in Minneapolis before they kind of hit it semi-big. Wow, they were at the iTunes and, Festival. Yeah, like they, they've made it now. Um, they're, they're listed there at the top of like Pitchfork and Rolling Stone. Um, if you go into like their, their picks and everything, but it was seeing the last show that I saw was, it was kind of a transcendental experience. They have this type of, uh, sound that it's kind of like a, a washing over you kind of feeling. And you can, you can listen to it without paying attention to it, but it's not just background noise. And then when when they get the the lighting right during a set, it was one of those kind of almost out of body, like being at the show, but seeing yourself at the show and just knowing that you're going to remember that moment for the rest of your life. And I had one of those at the police show. Yeah, their songs are long. I'm looking like four or five minute songs. <laughs> I love that you think that's long. Well, for for rock, yeah. it is. I mean, it's not really rock. It's it's definitely poppier. Listen, definitely, you're talking to a jazz guy. I mean, for me, like twelve minutes is okay. Yeah, you're talking to a punk rocker. For yeah. me, anything over two minutes is starting to wear on. <laughs> so, which which Polisa tracks? If I'm going to buy two or three, which ones should I get? I actually couldn't give, give you the it ghost. Track is very you. popular on iTunes. I'm yeah, sorry. and that's a good song. Um, I'm checking the name of their most recent album, which I've been listening to on Spotify, but haven't paid attention to the name of Shalumith. Is that it? I believe it is. Um, yeah. Give you the ghost was the album that they toured on, uh, last time I saw them. So I believe, yeah. Shulamith. Shulamith. Yeah. Shulamith, whatever, S-H-U-L-A-M-I-T-H is the new one. But I do give you the ghost is an awesome album. And I recommend that one. All right. That's going to be my pick. Give you the ghost, but with the footnote that there's a brand new one. If you like that one, I'll check it out. All right. So what's your number two? Um, it's on the Mac and I, you may have covered this on your show. It's a great application for dealing with your contacts. It's called Cobook. Yeah. C O B O O K. And it goes into the menu bar. And you know, the biggest pain for me with Apple's contacts is it's refusal to operate quickly. You know, if I want <laughs> to, yes. if someone is on the phone with me and they say, Hey, I got a new phone number to get to the screen where it will let me type in a new phone number. I, I don't even know how many mouse clicks it is, but it's too many. And Codebook, you just go up into your menu bar, you type in the person's name, hit return. And then you can just start typing in a phone number and it's smart enough to figure out that you're adding a phone number. And it says, well, which phone number is it? And you tap one button or hit return. Even you can do it with tabs and the return key and you can add, uh, you can add information very quickly. Um, I also often take notes when I talk to people about things we talked about or something and, and contacts is a good enough place for me to do that. I'll do a little text expander date string snippet and say, you know, such and such a date we talked about Polisa. 
and I'll put it in there and I can do all this stuff in CodeBook without having to open up that slow app. It's just really great. It's even smart enough most of the time to figure out if, because it's a single, single entry field and you type and it figures out what kind of information, what field to put it into. And a lot of times it's smart enough to figure out company name versus note. Yeah. And that blows me away most of the time. I guess if it's short enough and has capital letters in it, it, it assumes that's a company name. I'd like to know how they figured that out. It's uh, it's creepy. It is very cool though. It is. I use it. I've had some issues with crashing in Mavericks. It, it, um, I think it's better now because okay. when I was using the Mavericks beta for the book, I was uh, Cobook almost became unusable for me. It would load up fine, but then at some point it would just disappear. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was running and into. I, but I, I think they've got it sorted it for a while. out now. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great app though. It's I I can't remember the last time I opened Contacts. I just use Codebook. All right, what's your next? All right, um, there was a movie that came out. Uh, I think yeah, this year, and it was called The Way Way Back, and I loved it. It's surprisingly only seven point five out of ten on IMDb. But don't let that sway you because it is ultimately charming and it, without being dramatic or over the top as far as like heartstrings and everything go. It's it's Steve Carell, Tony Collette, Allison Janney. Great cast. And what's the name of the guy who is in? Um, um, uh, now I forget the name of that movie. Come on, Sam Rockwell. That's what I'm thinking of. Oh yeah, the um, Sam the Rockwell movie. I'm thinking of Choke. Choke is the one I was thinking. Yeah, of. okay. Um, but he was he was amazing in this movie. Rob Corddry's in it. Um, and and of course Steve Carell is awesome. The kid is played by someone I hadn't seen before. I can't remember his Liam James. But anyway, the storyline, I won't I won't like detail the plot or anything, but it is just a really heartfelt movie. It's from the same guy who did Sunshine Cleaners. Did you ever see that? I'm going to have to watch this movie. I'm looking at it right now. It's spectacular. I loved it. All it's right. Out of out of all the movies I've seen recently, and that includes Pacific Rim, it's my favorite. Okay, since we're going media, I'm going to go with one uh, another media. <laughs> So I was talking about my 17-year-old earlier, and I'm always trying to find stuff to do with her where she doesn't just shake her head at me. And we, we usually find some kind of nerdy television show to get into together. And for the longest time, that was a show on a sci-fi network called Eureka, where yeah. <laughs> it was it reminded me of Northern Exposure. It was just quirky and fun. And, you know, it was just it was a great thing. We kind of looked forward to watching it together. And we lost that for a while. Jason Snell turned me onto the show called Continuum. Yes, I've oh, I've seen every one of those. Oh, have you? Okay, so we just finished because the second season's on Netflix now. We just finished it, and um, yeah, it's good because it makes you think you're not really sure if the bad guys are the good guys or or what. And uh, we've been having a good time watching that together. Have you Have you seen the uh, the patterns in the titles per season? Like in the um, oh, first yeah, season, yeah. every single title had the word time in it. Yeah. And the, and the second season, everyone had the word two or second. I forget what the. the yeah. It was something like that. Yeah. I'm not sure if that gets gimmicky after a while, but. I think it shows um, dedication. 
because the, the the titles were rarely a stretch. They always had something to do with the content. Yeah, but they always stuck with the same kind of naming meme. Well, I think they have but, good acting, yeah. and and it's it's interesting because yeah, I don't watch much television, and what you know the do the shows I do record, I see commercials for other shows sometimes while I'm flipping through. And man, TV looks just so bad to me lately. It's just like I all these sitcoms of it just it looks so terrible. I feel like it's getting better. Is it? Yeah. I feel I, like a year ago I I had the same feeling and this year I actually I can find something to watch. I I don't have cable. I only have uh Hulu and Netflix and iTunes, but um but I, I pretty much always have something to watch because there are Quite a few. I mean, Parks and Rec and Modern Family and even the Goldbergs has been pretty entertaining. Um, just, like, what's that? There's some bad stuff out there. I, we, um, I, I taped a bunch of this Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and I've only watched two episodes now. And and do you like it? I'm not sure yet. Um, oh, I, I'm totally into that. Are show. you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not in far enough to know, but I know that the commercials they showed during it all look pretty terrible to me. <laughs> uh, I, I, I watched that show on a lark. I was, I was actually trying to annoy my wife. Um, I was just going to put on something stupid and that looked like it was going to be stupid. Um, and we've been watching it ever since that was the cool. first episode and I was hooked. Cool. All right. I think you have one more or did we do, we went through three. I think we did. No, it. I have one more. All right, let's hear it. I haven't, I've been working my butt off this week. Um, we've been redesigning Engadget and there's another big launch coming up and, uh, I haven't had a lot of time to play with the number of apps I usually do, but I've been spending like 23 hours a day in an app called CodeKit. And I can't remember if I've ever mentioned it before. It may have come up, but CodeKit is for a web designer. It's like the quintessential compiler concatenator optimizer it'll watch a directory and every time you change like a less file it'll compile your css and refresh your browser and it's it makes life as easy as dreamweaver did except you get to write better code now well i, don't, I know you don't have a lot of feedback on no, that I one i don't know what to say does it work with squarespace <laughs> <laughs> Well, Squarespace lets you do custom CSS, don't they? Yeah, it does, but I, you know, that's so. So technically, it could. It feels almost like alien technology to me. I call well, I call this, somebody this like you would. when I get to that point because I'm yeah, just, yeah, I get a lot of those calls. I bet you do. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So that was that was three and three. All right, and I'll I'll put them all in the show notes, and you can give me a a link for, um the what you want to link for the miles davis album okay okay i will i will and then i'm going to take one more sponsor break and then we'll talk about where people can find you okay this episode has been brought to you by squarespace the all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create your own website for a free trial and 10 percent off go to squarespace.com and use the offer code turkey squarespace is constantly updating their platform with new features new designs and more support they have beautiful templates for you to start with, with tons of style options for you to adjust so you can really create your own space online. Squarespace takes care of hosting, SEO, and even makes sure your site automatically looks great on any device. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you want some help, over 70 Squarespace employees are on the customer care team, which is based in New York City. 
Squarespace truly cares about design, and it really shows throughout their whole site, which they're always updating with fun new branding, which has won multiple design awards. They have two really cool new features out. First, Audio Collections is a new tool for musicians. You can upload music directly to Squarespace and easily share your albums from your website, complete with a beautiful integrated player and album art display. Squarespace also has an amazing new 3D visualizer for shipping, and this thing is really cool. They have taken all the factors of shipping into account by not only allowing you to enter the product weights and carrier options, but also implement 3D packing algorithms to understand the exact amount of ordered items that will fit into the boxes you send with. As I said earlier, you can try Squarespace for free, no credit card required, and if you decide to purchase, it starts at just $8 a month and includes a domain name if you sign up for a year. Also, make sure you get 10% off and support the show by using the offer code TURKEY. So, thank you to Squarespace for supporting 5x5 and Systematic. Okay, well, thanks again for being here, David. Um, You can be found as Max Sparky in most places, is that right? Yeah, that's a pretty good place to go. And you blog at MaxSparky.com? Com, yeah. Yeah, okay. I always forget who, who, who is cool enough or late enough to the game to be a .NET. I got .NET too, so it points there. Yeah, me too. It took me like four too. years to do that. I'm not sure why I w- why it took me so long to realize that someone could have bought back MaxSparky.net and gone nuts with it. <laughs> I bought it a long time ago at BrettTerpstra.net yeah. and Terpstra.net. But I've never like redirected and made that my primary URL. It's just kind of back up in case people like me forget which one it is. Yeah, that's me too. Just a forward. Yeah. Okay. Is there anywhere else you want people to find you? I'll link your uh, the the email field guide in the show notes. It'll be at the top. Thanks. And uh, also the Mac Power Users, my podcast I do with Katie Floyd, ah, is a good place. I always to go. forget to mention everyone's podcast. It's okay. But yeah, Mac Power Users is great. Thanks for having me and. Uh, And I really enjoy your show. Keep it up. Thank you. And thanks for being on. That was episode, wow, 71 with David Sparks. And we will see everybody in one week.